there. Welcome to the Southern Roots Podcast. Digging beneath the surface to uncover the hidden ideas that form us, the church, and our culture. I'm Brian Fisher. This is episode 19 on our best behavior. The Soil and Roots community continues to grow, and it's because of you. Thanks for sharing the podcast and the website and information about greenhouses. If you have a moment, please give this podcast a great rating on whatever platform you use. It helps get the word out about our collective journey into deep discipleship. And as a reminder, when you refer the podcast to your friends or family, recommend they start with episode one. The Soil and Roots podcast is a guided journey into the richer stages of discipleship, and newer episodes do build on older ones. Season one is an introduction to the great omission and deep discipleship, and the concept of these unconscious ideas that power and govern our hearts. We're now in season two, which is an exploration of one of our primary blockers to deep discipleship, the discipleship dilemma. If someone starts listening to the podcast with, say, this episode, they may get a little lost in our concepts and terminology. So keep on inviting people to the community and just suggest they start at the beginning and work at their own pace. There's no rush. We'll still be here. I've observed that bunny rabbits are not the smartest animals. Most mornings I get up early and take a long, brisk walk through my neighborhood. At that hour, I run across quite a few animals. Rabbits and squirrels and pet cats, birds, occasionally a fox. Once or twice I've actually seen a bobcat, though I didn't stick around to get a good look. Squirrels aren't really the brightest animals on the farm either, but when a squirrel sees me coming, he'll normally dart away and at least climb up a tree, and then he'll peek around the tree trunk to see whether I'm a threat. But rabbits are even lower on the IQ scale. I have a fairly heavy step, so you can hear me coming when I walk down the sidewalk. But these rabbits will wait until the last possible moment, until I'm just a few feet away, and then they suddenly act like I've materialized out of thin air, and they freak out, and then they dart back and forth with incredible indecision. Half the time they dart into the street, where these 2,000 pound cars are leaving the neighborhood to get to school or work. Or they'll scamper towards me and then realize that's a bad idea, turn around and dart down the sidewalk in the direction I'm walking, and then they wonder why they can't shake me. Then there are the few bunnies who just become paralyzed. They sit where they are and pretend that they're invisible. No offense to the bunnies, but your gray or brown fur doesn't hide you from green grass or the white sidewalk. You're not a chameleon, you're a bunny. Sitting still amid potential danger doesn't seem to be the best defense against predators. Rabbit behavior can be perplexing. It's erratic, unpredictable, potentially harmful to themselves. I don't really get it. But as with other things in nature, we humans may be able to learn a thing or two from a bunny's behavior. And that's today's topic, our behavior. We're well into our exploration of the discipleship dilemma, a primary problem when it comes to our lifelong journey to become more like Jesus. Since the point of discipleship is to apprentice with Jesus so that we become more like him, our character formation, it's essential that we learn to discern what's going on down in our hearts. It's this age-old concept of double knowledge. Our character formation is dependent on us knowing Jesus' heart and our own hearts really well. We continue to learn his story while also exploring our own stories. But modern Christianity isn't all that keen on this concept of double knowledge, thus our dilemma. However, we're helping to solve this dilemma here at Soil and Roots 
and we've dug up a way to practice discerning our own hearts. We call it heart view, how we come to understand the often hidden ideas and desires in our hearts by exploring eight indicators that we all share. Our thoughts, emotions, health, behaviors, relationships, our words, and how we use time and money. When we intentionally explore these indicators with God and some trusted friends, we're often able to uncover what our hearts truly love, what we truly desire. If we don't uncover the ideas and desires that drive us, we'll go about our lives on the surface, struggling with our discipleship, struggling maybe even with our worldview, our set of beliefs, and possibly struggling with ourselves and with other people, and we won't really grow. Jesus was masterful at quickly guiding people down into their hearts to uncover their ideas and desires. He challenged hearts and invited people to love him instead of whatever else they were loving. And some followed him, but many didn't. However, we aren't as fast or intentional at digging into our hearts as Jesus is. Instead, we throw ourselves into various coping strategies so that we avoid our hearts. We're incredibly inventive at finding things to occupy ourselves. Sometimes they're really noticeable, like unhealthy relationships or alcohol and drugs, porn, and other overtly harmful behaviors. But sometimes we avoid our hearts with things that are good. Someone said the greatest danger to Christian formation is Christian service. Volunteerism, work, church activities, and yes, even doctrine. Doctrine can draw us to Christ, but can also be as much of a coping mechanism as Netflix or weed. As humans, we're incredibly adept at taking good things and using them to mask the hurts and the wounds and the wanderings in our hearts. Remember, God has placed us into four relationships. We have a relationship with him, with others, with ourselves, and with creation. And our primary purpose in these relationships is to love and to rule. Love God, love others, love ourselves, and steward or rule creation and culture. It's challenging for us to love and rule because we live in this tension of two kingdoms. As followers of Christ, we are citizens of his kingdom, the kingdom of light. But we are born into the kingdom of darkness and its sin, and we still exist in it. And though the king of kings and the lord of lords is gradually and inevitably plundering the kingdom of darkness, we still live in a world rife with conflict between these two domains. Both kingdoms have their own set of ideas, and those ideas exist in culture and in our hearts. We call these ideas in the air and ideas in our soil. And most of the time we don't even know these ideas are governing us. But we can get a pretty good sense of the ideas in our hearts by paying attention to these eight heart view indicators. You've heard me say we're integrated people living in an integrated world. We have a body, mind, and a spirit in the context of our soul, and they're all fused together. We are unified beings. We talk about seven separate mountains of culture, but actually we relate to them as an integrated experience. Most likely you experience most, if not all, of these seven mountains every day. We do so though as a whole, not in parts. This same integration idea is true with our eight indicators. We're exploring them separately on the podcast, but that's for the purpose of identifying and working with them. Our indicators all function together. Your heart will bubble up its ideas and desires in most of the indicators at any given time. So our thoughts, they're tied with our feelings. Our behaviors, they're deeply connected to our thinking and our emotions. How we treat time and money, who we relate to, and how we relate to people, those are all fused together with our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors and our words. 
So let's say, for example, that you know a woman whose heart embraces an idea of identity that's dark. Instead of her heart finding its identity in Christ, she finds it in various men. She may go to church every Sunday and study her Bible, but her indicators are still pointing to this dark idea about who she truly belongs to. So, for example, her thoughts. Instead of finding her identity as a daughter of God in Christ, she thinks of herself primarily in relation to what some man thinks of her or how he treats her. She spends long periods of time worrying about how a man perceives her or relates to her. She may overvalue what he says to her. She'll spend too much time considering what he thinks of her versus what God thinks of her. How about her emotions? Well, her emotions are linked to her thoughts. She's emotionally bound to men in ways that are actually unhealthy for her. She may overreact emotionally to how a man treats her. or She may lose her own sense of identity based on the man's emotions towards her. She may have difficulty controlling her emotions when she interacts with certain men. Well, even her health, her physical, mental, and spiritual health may be impacted because of this dark idea. She may obsess and become anxious based on how men treat her. She may become easily tired. She may have other physical symptoms. She may be engaged in all sorts of Christian things, but not actually experience freedom or peace because her heart doesn't align with her beliefs. Ideas of light and ideas of darkness tend to bubble up and show themselves through any combination of our eight indicators. And that's why we need God's help and the help of trusted friends to dig into our hearts. We're terrible at exploring our indicators by ourselves. So this fourth indicator of behaviors is really fascinating, and it's fairly complex. So let's start with a clear definition of what we're talking about. Let's start by defining the difference between an action and a behavior. An action tends to be considered a singular event. I walk the dog. A behavior is a repeated pattern of actions. I have a habit of walking the dog, or I walk the dog five times a week. That's my behavior. So for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to stick with the concept that behaviors are patterns of actions. So behaviors is the word that I used as the indicator on the heart view picture, which if you want to reference it, you can find at the resources tab at soulandroots.org. Behavior falls into the study of psychology, and that is a very broad, very complex field. In my studies, I found a bunch of definitions of behavior, and just as many categories and influences and theories about behavior. That shows us just how amazing human beings really are, and just how complex the human heart is. Several of the definitions address how we behave in response to internal or external influences. And many of the definitions talked about those types of influences, cultural, background, your immediate circumstances. There's such a thing as covert and overt behavior, molecular and moral behavior, voluntary and involuntary behavior. If you're into psychology, you could probably spend a lifetime researching and studying behavior just to come up with a concise definition. When we're talking about heart view indicators, again, we're looking for these repeated patterns of actions, not just isolated occurrences. And we're looking for these patterns in all four of our relationships. So let's settle on this simple definition. Behavior is the pattern of how a person acts in relation to God, others, self, and creation. One more time, behavior is the pattern of how a person acts in relation to God, others, self, and creation. What are our repeated actions in the context of our four relationships? If you and your spouse take a walk every night after dinner, that's a repeated pattern of action, primarily in the context of your relationship with your husband or wife. 
If you read your Bible three times a week in the mornings, that's a repeated pattern of action, primarily in the context of your relationship with God. If you're like me and you've been 15 to 20 pounds overweight your entire adult life, you may go on a diet every six months to try to drop the weight. In my case, that's an unsuccessful repeated pattern, primarily in the context of my relationship with myself. If you mow your lawn twice a week, that's actually a repeated pattern, primarily in the context of your relationship with creation. Yes, mowing the lawn is actually a behavior of stewarding God's creation. The trick here is to take an inventory of our patterns of actions in the context of all four relationships, and that becomes a fascinating study of our hearts. Over the past few years, there have been numerous articles and documentaries and shows that have come out about two of the most notorious men in recent American history, Hugh Hefner and Jeffrey Epstein. We learn a ton about society by identifying the unconscious ideas it promotes about those who are easiest to pick on, and that's usually women and kids. Now, both of these men were masterful at understanding and exploiting human behavior, particularly of underage and young adult women. Hugh Hefner was the founder of Playboy and died in 2017 at the age of 91. Since then, various stories have come out about what really went on inside his corporation, and the company has publicly distanced itself from the Hefner family since his death. Jeffrey Epstein died of an apparent suicide in prison in 2019. He was 66. His longtime friend or lover or girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell, was also a primary ringleader in his operation. She's serving a 20-year prison sentence for trafficking minor girls. It's fairly easy to uncover various ideas in the hearts of these men, Hefner and Epstein, Anne and Maxwell, based on their behavior. They used their extraordinary wealth and privilege to seduce and groom children and young women for their own purposes. When it comes to their core ideas of value, power, purpose, and love, all of them viewed young women as meat for them to enjoy at their discretion. They were gods, and they used and abused people as they saw fit. They had the money and status to do so. What I found more fascinating and probably even a little sadder were the stories of some of the abused women, particularly those exploited by Playboy. Hefner targeted certain types of women, those with the girl-next-door persona, and so he and his team recruited girls with that image. As we've talked about, our family of origin is incredibly powerful at framing our heart's ideas, and many of the women who came into Hefner's web had tragic origin stories absent or abusive fathers, sexual abuse, legalism, controlling homes. They were enthralled by the money, power, and allure of life at the Playboy Mansion, and Hefner was a master of seduction. Over time, women who came into his system to become models were introduced to drugs, alcohol, hard partying, and they and their bodies became slaves to Hefner and the men who frequented the mansion. These women came into a system where they were expected to behave in certain ways. They were required to perform certain actions over and over again. The impact it had on their health, physical, mental, and spiritual, was profound. One model lost all of her teeth because of drug use. Some women disappeared, and a few were found dead. Most of the women who came forward talked openly about the destruction and damage they suffered as a result of their behaviors and the behaviors of certain men against them. Hefner actually created an immersive culture of spiritual formation, Featuring our five key elements, time, habit, intimacy, community, and instruction. 
Remember, spiritual formation goes both ways. Hefner wanted to change and mold the spirits, the hearts of the women he wanted for himself, and he created the right culture to do it. The mottos lived at his mansion. They spent an extraordinary amount of time there. There were daily and nightly rituals and habits. Days and nights were planned for these women, and they followed a predictable schedule. Obviously, physical intimacy was a prerequisite for these women. Hefner created a very specific, very intentional community, and the women were given strict and regular instruction on what was required of them. Hefner's culture actually provides a master lesson on the key elements of formation and how they can be used to mold hearts and minds. Here's what I found particularly fascinating. His immersive culture was so powerful, so formative, that even after the abuse these women suffered, many were still supportive of the ideas behind Playboy's mission and their promotion of Playboy bunnies. Meaning that while these women condemned the behavior of the men who directly exploited them and they regretted their own behavior, they actually still concluded that women posing naked and performing various acts on video was empowering and good for women. They still embraced the underlying ideas and behaviors that led to their abuse and exploitation in the first place. He behaves in one way to get away from who's approaching, but he behaves his way into the middle of the street where the circumstances are far more dangerous. We'd be better off not becoming like any bunny, playboy or otherwise. As Christians who desire to be more like Jesus, we evaluate our behaviors and those around us holistically. Eh, what do I mean by that? Well, today we place high value on things like prayer, Bible reading, church volunteering, evangelism, preaching. These are the behaviors of, quote, good Christians. We tend to be quick to praise and even esteem church and business leaders who exhibit these behaviors on a regular basis. But should we? Is that the whole picture? If a pastor leads a Bible study and is an effective communicator, does that mean we should esteem him only on the basis of those behaviors? We do this all the time. Our so-called spiritual behaviors, how we come to understand someone's heart. I don't think that's the whole picture. Some of the most reprehensible behavior I've ever witnessed came from church leaders who pray a lot, preach with impact, and go on regular mission trips. A few self-proclaimed evangelists I've encountered preach Jesus to anyone who will or won't listen and count prayers of salvation like notches on a bedpost and then treat their spouses harshly or verbally abuse their kids or cheat on their taxes or try to control every aspect of their organization or church from profound insecurity. Somewhat ironically, we only know about folks who pray a lot or fast often or give a lot of money because of how often they talk about it. My suspicion is some of the quieter Christians we meet have richer prayer lives and far more generous pockets, but we just don't hear that from them. We should be grateful that the gospel is spreading through all sorts of people. In the book of Philippians, Paul celebrated the fact that the gospel was being preached, even though it came from the mouths of people who were doing it, with wrong motives. In his grace, God often does ministry in spite of us, not really because of us. We tend to overemphasize so-called spiritual behaviors because it's fashionable and it gives us status in the Christian community. That's why when we evaluate ourselves or others, we should look at all behaviors across all four relationships, not just the public ones that give us points with other Christians. If we're interested in exploring our hearts, we should include those behaviors that happen behind closed doors at home or when we're alone. Paul gave Titus some instructions on what he should look for in mature disciples. 
This is specific to the office of elder, but I think we can argue these are things that we should look for in ourselves as genuine disciples who want to grow more and more into the image of Jesus. So here's what he said, quote, Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. End quote. Well, let's just pick out his key words. Above reproach, faithfully married, solid kids, not rebellious, not self-willed or quick-tempered, not addicted to anything, and not greedy. Hospitable, loving what's good, has some common sense, just, devout, and self-controlled. And lastly, holding fast to the word. In other words, a mature disciple exhibits patterns of behavior that reflect Christ across all four relationships. You can actually take this passage and list each behavior on a grid with our four quadrants, our relationship with God, others, ourselves, and creation. It's a fascinating little exercise. So is it possible to pray two hours a day and still lack common sense and self-control? Yes. Is it possible to be an effective evangelist or pastor or elder and be a control freak, even to be a narcissist? Yes. Is it possible to exhibit the behaviors of a mature Christian visibly and externally, but actually have a heart that bends towards darkness? Absolutely. When we work with God and trusted friends to evaluate our behaviors as an indicator of our hearts, we need to do it holistically. We don't just look at our churchy behaviors. We look at our repeated actions related to God and to those closest to us, to ourselves, and to our role as stewards of creation. Well, why would we go through all that trouble because we're really good at faking behaviors in certain settings. Well, God isn't fooled, and chances are those closest to us aren't fooled either. If we struggle with self-control and insecurity, those point to ideas and desires in our hearts. They'll surface in our behaviors, but probably not our behaviors at church. We tend to be fantastic actors there. And now we're beginning to see why Heartview is so challenging and why most of us don't do it. Are we really up for sitting with our spouse or our parents or our close friends and asking them how our repeated actions are uncovering ideas of light or darkness in our hearts? Is the way we consistently behave in our relationship with God, those closest to us and with ourselves, more like Jesus now compared to a few years ago? Does our behavior towards creation and culture indicate we're rulers of it or do we act like we're victims of it? But this process, this is the path of deeper spiritual formation. I'm not downplaying spiritual disciplines like reading your Bible and praying, good grief, do those things. I am saying, however, that just doing those things may or may not form us into the likeness of Jesus. We can talk to God and not listen back. We can read our Bible without comprehending anything. We behave in lots of ways that don't actually engage our hearts. We do it all the time. But our hearts, our spirits, will bubble up even in the midst of all of our acting. It's a gift of God that it does. And if we sit with God and some trusted people and really explore our holistic behaviors across all four relationships, we will discover God waiting for us, inviting us to dig into our hearts with him so that he can form us and mold us to love him more. By the way, this particular indicator is useful in a few other ways. 
For example, if someone accuses you of bad behavior, you're confused by the accusation because you don't recognize it in yourself, what can you do? Well, first ask the Holy Spirit to provide clarity, but then go to a trusted and safe person, a spouse, a friend, a parent, and ask whether they see the behavior of which you're being accused. Maybe ask more than one trusted person. If your friends have your interest at heart, but agree with your accuser, it's time to dig a little deeper. But if your friends are as confused as you are by the accusation, chances are your accuser has a very different agenda. And you're not obligated to take that train to crazy town with them anytime soon. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like more information on Soil and Roots, this podcast, our blog, greenhouses, and how you can become more involved with the Soil and Roots community, check out our website. You can find it at www.soilandroots.org. We'd love to have you join us. Also, if you'd like to email in a question, you can reach us at fish at soilandroots.org, and we'll see you next time.